Let's get to him. He is uh, the congressman of the 1st Congressional. You know him well, ladies and gentlemen. Nick Lalota uh, joins us for a couple of minutes here on a Wednesday morning with espresso in hand. Uh, I might add, I believe. I believe. I'm just guessing. Just guessing. Uh, could that be true, Congressman? Good morning, uh, Jay Oliver. Happy Wednesday to you. It is uh, 17 degrees here in Washington, D.C., and in my hand is a cold uh, cup of uh, espresso can uh, that is now half completed. I'm going to have the other half with you here this morning, Jay Oliver. You know, thanks to you, uh, my drink of choice now uh, on the weekends when I am out and about is a nice little espresso martini, sometimes a double, and which I drink it responsibly, by the way. So I give you credit for that. Um, so here we are, right? Here we are. We got a lot of stuff going on. We got the caucuses be- beginning, the caucus, the Iowa caucus yesterday, a slam dunk for the former president on their way to New Hampshire now. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, something that has bothered me beyond belief. And I still cannot believe it happened, Congressman. Is that the whereabouts of Lloyd Austin? Where in the world is is Lloyd? Uh, Where in the world is Waldo? Remember that whole thing? And it's baffling to me. We got two wars going on. The President of the United States is nowhere to be found. He's not even aware of the Secretary of Defense. As far as what happened to him, we wish him good health, by the way. Tremendous health and a bounce back. But my goodness... um, at times of this nature, uh, you need the leader of defense involved with the, the greatest country on planet Earth, the world power beyond the United States of America, and its leader in defense is missing? Is that possible? So, so Jay, this is troubling for me, too. Uh, as a Naval Academy graduate, as somebody who served uh, overseas in three different deployments uh, as a Naval officer, uh, and first off, you're right, let, let, let's wish the Secretary a speedy recovery following a surgery and cancer diagnosis, you know, that, that deserves its time. We wish him personally well. Um, but this situation is incredibly troubling for a couple of different reasons. One, Lloyd Austin is a man who is quite familiar with the chain of command and, and the obligation to communicate both up and down the chain of command. He spent decades in uniform. He's very familiar with the obligations that one has to participate in communicating with the chain of command. So it definitely is not for a lack of knowledge. Um, And and this is troubling, I think, for two main reasons, Um, both on behalf of the secretary and the White House and the president, who thought it was normal with wars raging in Ukraine and Israel for the president and the secretary of defense not to speak for an entire week. I'm just a lowly little freshman congressman, as you know, Jay. I speak to my chief of staff, talk and text five, five times a day, my communications director, my legislative director, two, three times a day at least. And I'm not sure in my first 13 months on the job if I've gone a day without speaking or texting with, with each of them. And I'm just a lonely little congressman. This is the president of the United States with his secretary of defense, arguably the most important and powerful cabinet secretary. We're not talking about the secretary of the interior or something else like that, who's got an important job. But if they went 96 hours or seven days without speaking, one might understand that. This is the Secretary of Defense while wars are raging overseas, aggression is building up with China, with Iran, and other spots throughout the, throughout the globe. It is unimaginable that these two individuals wouldn't speak for an entire week. And I'm suspicious, Jay. I'm suspicious that given President Biden's inability to articulate issues 
to to think on the spot, to be able to narrate what the heck we're doing in and around Ukraine and elsewhere. That his inability to uh, to narrate that, to speak on that, to speak about and to forcefully um, present upon the American people what it is that our involvement ought to be there, what a winning war strategy is. I worry this is a bigger issue. This just isn't Secretary Austin's forgetfulness to participate in a communications process, which I'm sure he is fully familiar with given his decades of service. I worry this is a culture problem, Jay. I worry this is a culture problem in the cabinet of the president of the United States who dismisses the president as somebody who they don't need to inform on important issues, who they don't need to communicate with on important issues, because they, like many Americans, view him as unable to process, to communicate, to build consensus uh, as the commander-in-chief, because he might be a few years past his prime. I worry that's the bigger issue that America needs to deal with, Jake. Well, is in all likelihood, Joe might have had his Dr. Denton's on and turned in. But but could you imagine that first phone conversation between Joe and Lloyd? I, I mean, did he at least give you a, come on, man. I mean, as far as Lloyd Austin not communicating properly, I mean, my goodness. Uh, it is Barnum and Bailey at its best. Uh, we're talking with Nick Lelota, of course, Congressman of the 1st Congressional. All right, let's move on. Um, give me a sense as far as this. This spending bill, Nick, I mean, is it is it firm in place? I, it just baffles me. Why can't we ever get a long-term deal going here? Well, the House has the leverage uh, in that we have the power of the purse, right? And, and, and House Republicans, who seem to be the only folks in Washington who actually want to change the way that we do business to reduce spending in key areas. And by the way, let, let me caveat that with, we want to protect Medicare and Social Security while we rein in wasteful spending elsewhere. But we're the only ones in town who want to do it. And by the way, Senate Democrats definitely don't want to do it. Senate Republicans barely want to tackle the nation's debt and deficit problem. We're a nation that's now $34 trillion in debt with a debt-to-GDP ratio that's 120%. The worst in our nation's history since World War II. Something must be done. But it's just us House Republicans who want to have that fight want to have that conversation, who want to change the way that we do business so that we give just as many opportunities to the next generation of Americans as you and I have enjoyed, Jay. So we, we fight this fight all the time, but we need more partners. We need a larger majority in the House. We need more fiscal conservatives in the Senate. We need somebody in the White House who has an appreciation for this. So when the Speaker goes to these meetings, and whether it was McCarthy then or Johnson now, when the Speaker goes to what they call a Four Corners meeting, the Speaker of the House the House Minority Leader, in this case Jeffries, the um, Senate Majority Leader Schumer, and the Senate uh, Minority Leader McConnell, when they have these four corners meetings, our Speaker is the only one who wants to pare back spending. So we, we have to navigate as a very thin majority this difficult issue. I think that Speaker Johnson has done it well, given the uphill battle that he has presented with, with the Senate, both Republicans and Democrats, not wanting to join him. In pairing back spending, we're relying now on these appropriations bills, Jay, so that we can actually, with a scalpel, find out where specifically in the federal budget to cut. But it's a tough job. And in the meantime, we're going to we're going to fulfill our commitment to continue to keep the government funded. We shouldn't stop paying our troops, our border agents or other folks who are incidental to this issue. We should continue to keep the government open. 
while we while we create more leverage on the appropriations process to cut spending there, Jay. Talking with Nick Lolota, the first congressional congressman, Nick Lolota. Had a conversation earlier this morning on the show with State Assemblyman Rott, Congressman, about the state budget, how this governor has put aside some $2.4 billion uh, for the migrant crisis uh, in and around the state, New York City in particular. Uh, when I read that, my eyes popped out of my head. We can't even take care of our veterans properly. Yet we're going to give $2.5 billion to this. Uh, I'll tell you, I don't know where we have gone as a society. Our, our priorities are just not there anymore. I think of the border. I think of everything else. No end in sight. To me, it's the number one issue. I think it is the number one issue for most Americans in the recent poll I saw. Uh, then the economy and everything else. But right now, it's about safety. You know, When you let in a half a million plus November, December last year, um, that's a major issue. Those are the encounters. Okay, I think of the terrorist watch list. I think of the cartels. I think of the fentanyl. My goodness, it baffles me. Still, uh, this president and his administration sitting on their hands, not recognizing it. They hear Alejandro Mayorkas call it a challenge. It's a challenge, not a crisis, according to him. Uh, I think of a lot of things, a lot of things, especially after yesterday's budget reveal. Yeah, there are some basic obligations that our government and government leaders have back towards us as citizens, Shay. And the federal government level, it's really to keep us safe. It's to ensure that our adversaries overseas are kept at bay and our borders are secure. And this administration, the Biden administration, is failing miserably in, in, in those two endeavors of keeping us safe. And when we look back home, and I didn't hear Ed Ross, uh, but I'm sure he made this point, that the state government's main responsibility is to fund our important programs like education, and what this administration, what the Hochul administration has done is abhorrent, and they've, they've missed their responsibility to, to fund key programs. My understanding of the state budget that she presented is that there's our, there are $44 billion in cuts to Long Island education while she's giving billions to illegal immigrants. How crazy is that, and how backwards is that? And I don't get it. Person is that? That, that, that dichotomy would exist in her budget. She's got it totally wrong. She's clearly at odds with the suburbs. She's clearly trying to pander to New York City, where she feels like her base is. She gets politically destroyed in the suburbs, not because we don't want to give her an opportunity. You know, Ed Romaine went up, and he's doing a heck of a job as county executive. Ed Romaine went up to Albany and said to her, hey, hey, Governor, we have an open door here. We want to work together with you. We want to make life better for our common constituents. And Ed Romaine's got a very good approach to that. And what did she do just a couple days later? Cut billions from our, from our local schools where our kids rely upon education. It's wrong. It's backwards. We need to get both on the federal government level and the state government level our priorities straight and put American citizens first before anything else, Jack. Completely uh, backwards. Uh, you're right with Ed. You know, it's kind of a different approach than what Bruce Blakeman did in Nassau where he said, listen, uh, don't come here to Long Island. It's our area. You know, I mean, it's like, what approach could you possibly use as far as Kathy Ogle is concerned? Nothing seems to work. Uh, Nick Lota with us. Um, it's just an observation, kind of respect on my end. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, why are the lowest state Republicans voting in an opposite direction than the upstate Republicans, especially in Congress here? Do you get a sense of that or no? Uh, well, listen, uh, you know, we here on Long Island, um, you know, consider a couple of things very important to us. Regardless of our party affiliation, the first and foremost is, is the state and local tax deduction. 
and Garbarino, D'Esposito, and I have banded together to ensure that our leadership, the House, Washington, the whole government here, understands how important that program is to us. Upstate Republicans, it's not uh, as big of a deal. Their property taxes uh, are not as high as ours. So you're going to see some differences in approach between upstate Republicans and downstate Republicans. And the first thing that comes to mind about that approach is Salt Jay. But we work together well. You know, um, guys like Langworthy, uh, yeah. Lawler, uh, Molinaro uh, are my good friends uh, here in the House of Representatives. We collaborate on issues that, that are for, for New York's benefit. We're always fighting for federal resources to come back to New York. Uh, almost regardless if they're upstate or downstate, we're working together to ensure that our state, despite the failed leadership out of Albany, uh, gets its due from Washington, Jay. A couple of quick ones, lightning round here before we let you go. Ukraine, Israel, funding. Uh, where we had everything in place, uh, you know, an open checkbook to Zelensky seems to be in play here. Uh, as far as Israel, we know we have to to keep it going. you got the Houthis attacking in the Red Sea. My goodness, that's a whole nother story, Nick. Uh, you would like some sort of response. You got one, maybe a little too late. Should have been done a while ago. We know the the head of the snake is that of Iran. I tell you, I heard comments from Blinken regarding, you know, this whole Iran deal and everything else and what Trump did when he ripped it up. You know, listen, it started in 2015 with Obama. Uh, never a reference in that regard, but there are so many components to this right now. Yeah, so so let's, let's separate them a little bit. I know that we're in a lightning round here, but I wouldn't want to lump Ukraine and Israel into the same uh, approach because... From a national security perspective, Jay, we should have two very different approaches there. Yep. Um, Israel, a lifelong partner of the United States, absolutely has not only the right to exist, but to defend herself and to pursue those who committed the terrorist atrocities of October 7th. Period. Stop. End, end of statement. And, and the United States ought to be a partner in uprooting those common enemies, those who chance death to America are the same ones who want to wipe Israel off of the map. And that reality should guide our national security decisions with respect to Israel. So almost right away, the House passed over $14 billion in funding for Israel. We did that weeks and weeks ago. House Democrats took a partisan uh, stance on it, voted against it. And Senate Democrats have refused to even put it up for a vote. All while Israel fights with a war with Hamas, backed, as you've said, by Iran. So House Republicans are leading to that. We understand that. America has no more important strategic relationships throughout the world than Israel, and, and, and we have embraced that. We have supported that. We put our money where our mouth is, passing a, a $14 billion supplemental there. Different from that, Jay, is Ukraine, where the president has not articulated a winning strategy there, yeah. and the president is wanting to send tens of billions to Ukraine to defend its borders while he leaves our southern border open for illegal to come over drugs, weapons, human trafficking. We're having tens of thousands of people die from fentanyl poisoning. So Americans are very frustrating, frustrated, and public support has waned to send more and more money to Ukraine because of that discrepancy, that the, that the, the Biden administration won't secure our own border but wants to fund more money towards Ukraine while it doesn't articulate a strategy, while we know corruption is rampant there, while we don't have the proper auditing, of our money over there. The, the, those are the issues that define the Ukraine funding debate, Jay. I would say the Secretary of Defense, uh, but I understand that he's uh, not available. 
the administration, the Department of Defense needs to come to Congress and articulate what a winning strategy is over there. I've been to a dozen or so meetings, and at none of those meetings, Jay, does, does anybody from the administration articulate what a winning strategy is over there? And they won't secure our own borders. So the, the Ukraine funding issue is a, is a tremendous problem in, in this town right now. Yes, Putin is an evil de- dictator. Yes, he ought to be confronted. I think it should be a coalition, a NATO-centric coalition, where those European countries should be leaning more into this. They should not rely just on the United States to fund the majority or the plurality uh, of what it takes to, to win there. But we need some auditing and we need some, some some better controls on the money that we send over there, Jay. No question. You'd like to see a plan as far as Zelensky and company. We haven't had anything. Uh, there's got to be a strategy involved. Can't be an open checkbook. I, I agree. I agree a thousand percent. Before we let you go, uh, caucus uh, on uh, on Tuesday. And uh, listen, it's, it's what we all thought it would be. Polls were right and everything else. Trump annihilates the competition by 30 points or so. You know, at this point in time, as you move on to New Hampshire, you know, a lot of people are under the belief that uh, Haley and DeSantis should just drop out of the race, support the one guy, and and head towards the finish line in, in full support, the party, and everything else. Uh, you know, I've been pondering that myself a little bit. Listen, I like a good fight. I, I think uh, Nikki Haley has, has shown me a couple of things along the way of uh, very impressed. Uh, DeSantis, on the other hand, on the other hand, I think there's a lot to learn. Uh, give me a quick Lolota assessment as far as what happened in Iowa on Tuesday. So I think Iowa was a reflection of the issues of our time. And when you look at the Biden administration and its open border and its failed national security strategies overseas that are drawing us more and more into wars and conflicts and combat, you contrast that with how President Trump did while he was in office about a secure border, about no new wars. I think that is what is motivating voters to support President Trump get, getting back into the White House. I, I think it's darn near close. The president uh, is going to be uh, our nominee again. Uh, there may be a time when, and maybe it's this time, maybe Haley's a VP nominee. Maybe uh, one or both of them will be a president uh, in the future, Haley and DeSantis. But I don't think that time is going to be this year. Uh, I see more and more consolidation around President Trump because of the issues he was best on. He was best on the border. He was best on national security. I think a lot of voters are giving him that credibility in contrast with Biden's failed policies on both the border and our national security. I think that's what's putting a lot of wind in his sails, Jay. Yep. Uh, very scary times. Very scary times, uh, Congressman, uh, this day and age. Uh, so we shall see as we uh, march on towards New Hampshire uh, on Tuesday. Always a pleasure to have you, and uh, we look forward to many a conversation in 2024, sir. Appreciate always being on with you, Jay. Hope you stay warm uh, during these cold days, and see you soon, my friend.